Episode 70, it's the Syzygy Summer Spectacular. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. It's it's summertime, and that means that it must be time for a very special summer edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart. Joining me via Zoom from the other side of the country is Emily Brunston. Hi, Emily. Hello, hello. How's your summer going? Yeah, it's a little damp, I have to say, over here. It's uh... <laughs> Yes, it is a bit damp. I've got to say, it's been a bit of a rubbish summer so far. Have you been getting any sunshine over your side uh, of the country? Just little sporadic bursts, but... Uh... What happened to that like May weather that we had? That was fantastic. Let's bring that back. I know it was amazing. We had this we had this sort of week, week and a half of really nice, warm, sunny skies, almost a bit too warm, if I'm honest. And and that was really nice. And then suddenly it, it all went away and said, No, 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 welcome back to the United Kingdom summer, where it's gonna be fifteen degrees and wet and windy and grey all the time, which is a bit tedious, I have to say. But that doesn't stop us from doing a very special summer edition of the Syzygy podcast, where we thought we would I don't know, summer's supposed to be a time for kind of kicking back and maybe trying to do a little bit less of the worky stuff and a little bit more of the relaxing kicking back and having a bit of fun stuff how's that working out for you emily you, you're doing a lot less work and a lot more of the summer fun uh i should be on a conference right now so that should be kind of a mixture of work and fun uh, yeah, but, yeah yeah conferences are sort of the academic equivalent of summer fun i guess aren't they but that's not happening because of waves hands wildly all this so you must be spending your time sort of kicking back on the couch watching netflix that sort of thing or way too addicted on stupid games on my phone well, that too, that too. So we thought we would spend this episode talking about some of the things that people get up to over the summer when they're, when they're kicking back with not a lot to do, and particularly if the weather's a bit rubbish outside, but with an astronomical, cosmological space bent to them. So we thought we'd talk about, you know, favourite books that you might like to read, films, videos, TV shows, um, other pastimes that uh, that you could get up to, but all with a with a very astro spacey bent to them. So that's where we're going today in the summer episode of uh, of astronomical fun. But before we do uh, a little bit of follow up, um, the world's going to Mars, right? There were we we reported on this a couple of episodes ago or last episode that that there were three Mars missions, right? Correct me if I've got this wrong. Um, China was going to Mars. Right, sending up a spacecraft, and it was sending. Wasn't China sending like everything? It was going to send an orbiter and a and a lander and something else. And a rover. Lander and rover. So you, you go around the planet, and then you land on the planet, and you also drive around on the planet. And China was sending all of that. So China was going, and the United Arab Emirates were going. Were they throwing everything in the kitchen sink at Mars, or was that? Uh, just no, I a, think they're just sending an orbiter at this point. Just an orbiter, okay. And then the US was going as well with their latest, latest upgrade version of their their Mars rovers. So where are we at in the world going to Mars, Emily? Well, we've had two or three successful launches as we record this, which is very exciting. Uh, so China's mission's gone, and UAE's mission has gone. And we're expecting NASA to launch uh, their mission uh, on the 30th, so in a couple of days' time. We're recording this on Monday the 27th of July. And so with any luck, within a couple of days' time, the third of those three will be successfully up 
through the atmosphere into space and winging their way towards Mars. And remind me, the reason that we're doing all of these Mars launches at the same time, effectively, within within a couple of weeks of each other, there is a good solid space reason for that, isn't there? Yeah, it's not just it's a, it's a window of opportunity, if you like, to launch and be able to slow down and sort of get out to Mars. Uh, the next good launch window is not for another 18 months, so kind of got to catch them when you can. Catch them when you can. So that's why there's three going, two out of three successfully launched. It's still a very long time before they get there. Fingers crossed for everyone involved. And keep your eyes out for that for that third launch, the U.S., launching on with we hope currently scheduled for the 30th of july so you know next episode we'll re- report back yeah on how that i found out a fun fact actually about uh, perseverance which is the um the mission that's nasa mission that's going to launch uh, later this week uh so i hadn't realized that it's also the rover's got a its own personal helicopter i remember that yeah 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 we talked about this when it was first announced so this is going to be is this right this is going to be the first flight on another planet? That sounds about right, yeah. Is yeah. that right? Like, you know, you can you can sort of come down and land, but this is an actual bona fide helicoptery device that's going to take off and fly around. Yeah, and it's got a name, which I hadn't picked up until uh, this week. Okay, so what's its name? Ingenuity. Ingenuity, I like it. That's, that's pretty appropriate. So we've got Perseverance and Ingenuity. It's got its own little helicopter buddy. It does beg the question, why? What's the helicopter for? Like, it's not, this is not a big sort of cargo type we're going to fly around and land places and let other little rovers out or anything like that. This is a tiny little thing. So, why? Why are we sending a helicopter? Is it just because that'd be fun? Yeah, well, no, it's not just, well, I mean, let's be honest, everyone on the planet is going to be jealous of the person who gets to fly basically a little drone on this on mars oh yeah I mean, but it's only going to fly sort of i guess it's something like up to 10 meters high to scout out where is the next best place for perseverance to you know trundle off to oh i see right so it's it's to help perseverance guide itself or be guided around by the by the engineers back on back on earth which is a difficult thing to do when you know, if, you, if you've just got the rover, which has got loads of cameras and sensors on it, but it can only see what it can see. If you can send a, a little helicoptery thing, a little drone thing up into the air and go, no, over there, or behind this rock, there's a really deep hole, don't go there, that kind of thing, then that would be really, really helpful. That yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, good luck to them. Good luck to Perseverance and Ingenuity and any of the other really top things that NASA's sending up there. We look forward to seeing how that one goes. Right, Emily, are you ready for... Syzygy summer special episode of fun. We're gonna we're gonna launch straight into. Let's start with the written word. Let's start with books. Now, all of the things that we're gonna be talking about today are astronomy or space or cosmology based. So, the when when I first pitched this idea to Emily, I said, "Why don't we Why don't we see if we can come up with our with our favourite space related." astronomically themed in some way books. Emily, what's your favourite read, either recently or all time? Well, I have to confess, I sort of flipped through the, you know, the repertoire of the classics in my mind, you know, Hawking yeah. and you know, these you know, science, um, popular science books. And then I thought, you know what, they're, they're great, they're interesting, but my favourite is kind of not super, super science accurate. My favourite has to be uh, the classic of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It is a little bit difficult to go past it. I just picked that up again recently because my kids are getting to an age where I reckon they stand a chance of actually getting the humour 
and uh, and it's it's in the pile of next books to read to uh, to my youngest daughter. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one. When was the last time you actually opened The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? How often have you read it? Um, I probably read them once every five years or so. So I'm probably due, actually. Um, my I've got a compendium, if you like, of the first three books in one. And it's it's well-worn, shall we say. <laughs> and it is because it's, you know, when I said how often do you pick it up and you said them, it, it is, what, what did they call it? The, the increasingly inaccurately named Hitchhiker's Trilogy when they got up to book five of the trilogy, yeah. I think, is, uh, is the way it went. So it's a, it's, it's a long series of books. But if you haven't ever come across it, and seriously, if you haven't, what the hell is wrong with you? This is a very, very silly series of science fiction. I mean, it is science fiction, but it's just so absurd in most of its science fiction ideas that it's it's hard to even put it in that category it's just weird isn't it it's weird but it involves a lot of very very poignant um earth humor shall we say and then applying that to the universe it does douglas adams uh had a very bent sense of humor he um he, you, you might recognise him as one of the writers from some of the uh, the nineteen seventies episodes of Doctor Who. So he's sort of steeped in that kind of of British BBC. We're we're talking sort of the era of Monty Python and so on. That 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 league of humour. But uh, but I don't know of anyone else who's who's kind of taken the science fiction genre and gone in this particularly bent way. So that's a that's a pretty good get. Do you have a do you have a favourite of the of the trilogy or of the series of five, the inaccurately named trilogy? Uh, I think my favourite has to be the restaurant at the end of the universe. It is a good one. Yes, the the uh, the titular restaurant is is one perched right on the edge of. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I, I always did wonder when I was reading it. How, how do you actually do this? But is a restaurant pitched with a with a view out across the the final end days of the universe, so that you can have your have your main course and your dessert as you're watching the last of the galaxies boiling away into nothing, which is a, a lovely idea. So big thumbs up from me as well for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Liking that one a lot. So in this category of books, I put down one which is which is a little bit more, um, I guess research-based, scientific. It's it's grounded, you know, feet firmly on the ground, if you like, in its cosmology. There's a book called The Cosmic Revolutionary's Handbook. It came out, I think, just last year or maybe earlier this year. It's by a couple of, uh, of Sydney-based uh, cosmologists, Luke Barnes and Garrett Lewis, who are or were both based at the University of Sydney. I think Luke Barnes is now based at the University of Western Sydney. Regardless, they've written a book which I think any... Uh, practicing academic or research-based astronomer or cosmologist will really relate to. It grew out of the experience of giving public talks as an astronomer or as a cosmologist and getting to the end, getting to question time when the, the members of the general public get to put up their hand and say, so what do you think about this? And uh, one of the authors said, invariably, there's someone in the audience who's going to ask a question which is, yeah, but but what about this theory that I've got about the way the universe works. You know, is the Big Bang actually a real thing? Or this idea that I've just had in my in my basement or my back room, doesn't that idea kind of prove all of that wrong? Doesn't this idea that I've just I've just read about prove Einstein was wrong and all of those things. So it's kind of an answer to all of those people who ask questions at the end of public talks or send in their theories to universities saying, I've 
come up with a debunking of Einstein's theory of relativity or modern cosmology. The Big Bang never happened. You've all been fooled. And so this is their answer to that, the Cosmic Revolutionaries Handbook. It's a handbook for people who want to prove that Big Bang cosmology and all of modern cosmology is wrong, right? They're laying it out for you. They're saying, we're going to make this easy for you. All you have to do is find evidence against and then they lay it all out. So what they're actually doing is teaching you modern cosmology by saying, here's all the evidence we've got. We've got an enormous amount of evidence. So if you're going to disprove it, you've got to disprove all of this, which is kind of a nice take on it. A couple of grumpy academics trying to help out the detractors of modern cosmology by saying, yep, here you go. Here's all the evidence. You go disprove it. Good luck to you. Emily, do you ever get weird theories coming through your mailbox your email inbox or in question time after after public talks? I do, I do. I get a lot of treaties um, sent to me. I mean, my favourite ones are the ones that start, Dear esteemed sir. <laughs> That's always getting off on a good foot, isn't it? You know you're in for a good one then. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> a, um, a, a former student of, of mine who's now doing a PhD actually at York, uh, James Lees, he's uh, taken up as a hobby contacting people with kind of very unusual um, ideas about, shall we say, theories that they've kind of come up with when they were very, very bored or maybe high. Uh, it's unclear sometimes. <laughs> maybe a bit um, of both. And so he's taken to contacting some of these people and basically doing, I guess, what this book does and uh, kind of saying, oh, yeah, but have you thought about this? And how does, you, how does this work? And, uh, yeah, very. I mean, sometimes he gets wonderful replies, which is, uh, yeah, very entertaining. So I tend to pass my, uh, my emails off onto him now. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds a little bit arrogant in a way, and, and I think... I think if you knew the, the the two authors, or at least one of them, Grant Lewis is a is a lovely guy, but he could be characterised a little bit as a as a as a grumpy cosmologist. But I think, you know, it's the nature of the complexity of modern science that look, we've got hundreds of years of collecting increasingly complicated and hard won knowledge about the universe. You can forgive, I think, a little bit of grumpiness to have this constant stream of yeah, but here's some mathematics that I've thrown down on a page of A4 in in uh, in crayon that I say overturns everything that you've been studying for your entire career so far. I can understand that level of grumpiness. I think that that kind of makes sense. So if you too want to to test out your own theories of the universe against the the gold standard of our knowledge about the about the cosmos, then the Cosmic Revolutionaries Handbook by Luke Barnes and Grant Lewis. Uh, that's your that's your go to. I think go and go and get that one or put it on someone else's Christmas list if there's someone that you have in mind that could probably use that one. All right, that's books. Um, I thought that we could maybe intersperse in between the various categories here, Emily. I, you know, like I don't know, is there are astronomers and cosmologists, are they funny people? Are they generally generally very funny people? Utterly hilarious. But the problem is that I think, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, most of uh, my scientific colleagues and I, when we share a good joke, it's not very often a very clever joke. It's normally a very, very, very <laughs> base pun. And I have to Something say... Something dumb that made you laugh. Oh, it's so, it's so silly. But I have to say that it drives my students nuts because I'm, I'm such a fan of a good pun and I have to share every good pun that I come across with them. Long-term listeners of this podcast will recognise that Emily does enjoy throwing in a good pun or even just a pun. 
You know, it doesn't even have to be good whenever she can. I'm not sure that there's any such thing as a good pun. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, I thought I'd give you the opportunity of punctuating uh, the, the various segments of today's episode with, uh, with your best astronomy jokes and puns. So, uh, so the floor is yours. What do you got for us? Well, OK, I have to say I trawled the Internet far and wide for at least 20 minutes to get you know, this list of puns. So I'm thinking to be completely uncredited because I'm pretty sure that you don't want to actually be credited with any of these jokes anyway. <laughs> you might find uh, people chasing down your doors. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so give us, hit us with the first one. <laughs> well, I thought since this is, um, if we just did a section about reading and books, I can tell you about a book that I've just been reading. Go on. It's, uh, it's all about anti-gravity, you know. It's quite an interesting topic. Oh, really? But it turns out that this, this book is just impossible to put down. <laughs> Right, on that note, we'll, we'll be back with more of, uh, of Emily's entertaining wit uh, after the next segment. I thought we'd move on from here on to, we're going from the written word to the spoken word. Emily, do you listen to any other podcasts that are sort of space related? I mean, look, let's just be absolutely clear here. We are the number one astronomy based podcast on the planet and that you know this is pointless listening to any others but i'm just going to ask do you listen to any others um i do so i listen particularly i i have to confess my podcast listening is fairly eclectic i, I listen to a few maths podcasts so you listen to quite a few history ones um and uh economy ones i don't know how i've gotten into economist podcasting but that somehow just happened um but in terms of astronomy i can actually say well when i um when I first started teaching, actually, this was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I started listening uh, as I was walking to and from work to an astronomy podcast, just to kind of, it's nice to get to see other people's take on how to talk about astronomy. And uh, the one I listened to was an astronomy cast, which I think is one of the oldest astronomical podcasts. It's been going forever. Yeah, but it is just, it is a really, really well put together podcast. Um, it's got two hosts, um, Fraser Kane um, and Pamela Gay. Pamela's a, a professional astronomer, and they just pick topics, and it's it's just they do they just do it so well. Very very nicely done podcast. Does that come out regularly? Is it sort of a weekly thing, or I think I it must be fairly regular because I just checked their website today. I have to admit I'm nowhere about today, but their latest episode is five hundred and seventy six. <laughs> so it's got to be pretty pretty regular, even though they've been going for a very long time. You know, that's a lot of episodes. It's been a while since I've listened to Astronomy Cast, but it has been around for a very long time, so I know I've listened to it a lot in the past. That's a good one. The The one that I was going to nominate for uh, for this particular section was, um, it's not astronomy so much, but it is space. It's it's a podcast which does sort of crowbar a bit of, a bit of uh, research astronomy in there from time to time, but it's mainly about space exploration, space flight, and just nerding out on all of that, which at a time when we're, you know, launching spacecraft every five minutes towards Mars um, is, a, is a fairly good one. It's a podcast called Liftoff. It's from the, the Relay uh, group of podcasts, and it's by Jason Snell, who's actually a tech podcaster usually he talks a lot about tech and, and apple stuff and things of that nature um and his friend and relay fm uh co-founder stephen hackett 
and every two weeks they release an episode which natters on about uh, about what's happening in the world of space and space flight and space exploration and all of that sort of thing. So that's a it's it's a beautifully put together podcast, really nicely done and really good for just nerding out on all of this stuff. You know when uh, when SpaceX is launching cars into orbit with with dummies at the wheel or when we're throwing things in the direction of one of the planets or going out to try to sort of land on a on an asteroid or a, a comet or something like that then this show is all over it so it's definitely definitely worth a listen emily time for another pun what do you got all right uh, i haven't got a podcast related one but i thought um, i could give you just a hint of just the uh, the subtlety and depth of humor that i think comes from a good pun subtlety is basically your forte so um, <laughs> so go for so it. what did mars say to saturn what did Mars say to Saturn? I don't know. What did Mars say to Saturn? Hey, why don't you give me a ring sometime? <laughs> I can't imagine that your students would get upset at you for telling jokes like this during classes. That that sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Emily, that was shocking. We'll come back for another <laughs> Emily pun after this next section. We're going to start talking about... Uh, we've gone from the spo- from the written word to the spoken word. Now we're going to start talking about visual things. We're into category of films, TV shows, and online video entertainment. Emily, have you got a favourite astro or space related film? Now, before you tell me, we have actually talked about this before, so I think we should probably strike a few of these off the list. We have actually had a uh, a bit of a natter before about our personal views on a couple of the big space films, including Gravity. Uh, with uh, Sandra Bullock, which is the incredibly visceral and a quite amazing film of astronauts who, whose spacecraft is battered to hell by an exploded satellite and staggeringly manages to, to do all sorts of crazy things in space. And it seems plausible until you think about it. Um, we also talked about Interstellar, which I think you, you had a, a very succinct summary of that film yeah yeah if you watch it and just turn it off i think it's about the half hour mark then it's brilliant just just do that yeah that's all you need yeah. to do that that first part's really good after that gets a gets a little bit bit of a worry so striking those ones from the record emily what's your pick in the uh, the film category i have to confess i'm not very good at remembering films <laughs> I, you know, they, they go on for quite a long time. I don't necessarily have the attention span to get through a whole one, always in one sitting. <laughs> um, so when, when you set out that the films, I, I read this to be that the films have to be accurate-ish, um, I said, well, the only accurate-ish film that I know of is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, uh, yes. Now, we came across this one in books. Then, So this is the, the interesting thing about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is that I can't actually think of a format that this hasn't been released in, right? It was, it was originally a radio play. Yeah, I should have put it in podcasts. If you've read the book, <laughs> but you haven't listened to the original radio play, you really should go back to it because it's a very, very similar story, of course. It, it's, it's all from the same original brain. But the, the original radio play is just really nicely done because it was written for radio. So it's been done for radio, done as a book. Uh, it was done as a computer game. I remember having the text-based Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy computer game when I was a kid. Um, it was a TV show back in the 80s. It was a TV series from the BBC. And then after years and years and years of people saying, we should make this into a film, it was finally turned into a film. Um, and was it a good film, Emily? Well, I think so. But I feel like sometimes I'm the only person on this planet who does actually think that that's true. <laughs> 
there were so many people who I think were very disappointed for various reasons, but I actually, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Um, I think probably because I think one of the most genius casting decisions ever made in human history was made for that film. When, what was the casting uh, choice that got you particularly interested? It was Alan Rickman as Marvin the Paranoid Android. Um, that was just, oh, I love, I love the character and I, and I love the casting. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Snape fan anyway, but yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen pretty much all of Alan Rickman's movies, including I think there's Galaxy Quest. Maybe I should have put that down as one of my favourites too. Oh, I mean, that is an absolute cracker. Galaxy Quest, really, really good. With Sigourney Weaver um, and... Oh, again, again, amazing cast, and it's taking the living piss out of Star Trek, which is always, always worth the price of entry alone. Yeah, so a couple of good crackers there: Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and as the bonus, Galaxy Quest, both for their casting and for just being very, very silly films. The one that I had down here in this category, um, I had a couple which I haven't actually seen. I mean, I had a had a long list of really good films that I have seen from you know two thousand and one which is a really good film that I hope never to see again. Have you seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Embarrassingly, I've only seen bits of it. Do you know what? I suspect... That's okay. I fell asleep in bits of it, which is, I think, also quite embarrassing, given how classic it is. It's one of those films which which I think is worth watching once, in the same way that driving across Australia is an experience which is worth having once. You know, and maybe only once, because there's a lot of very long, boring bits in the middle. And it's kind of the same with 2001. And then there's the very weird bit at the end. But, you know, an amazing piece of filmmaking, if that if that floats your boat. Um, the Dish, another great Australian film about, uh, about when uh, we landed on the moon. Uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And the part or the role that... The, uh, the big radio telescope at Parks in Australia played. They kind of play a little bit fast and loose with the story there, but it's a very, very fun story, particularly for the scene where they're playing cricket on the dish itself. That's quite cool. But the one that I really thought stood out in the last several years, is not really recent, but within the last five years or so, is Hidden Figures, which was the story of, uh, of the number of, of African-American calculators, they were called, you know, the, the, the mathematicians, who did a lot of the the actual calculations for the the space the early space missions and for for landing on the moon they were the human calculators but their story went pretty much unreported for a really long time and it's a great film both about that story of how the how the the maths and the science was done but also the characters involved so hidden figures that was my choice on that one have you seen that one I have, and I really really loved it as well and I think that there's also quite a few um, theatrical adaptations of um, that story and others similar to it um, that have played. I mean, I remember I was going on to um, a weekend holiday to, to Cambridge and I just, you know, happened to sort of Google what's on in Cambridge and there was um, a theatrical adaptation of uh, Hidden Figures and I got really excited and I sent the link around to everybody and said, yeah, let's all go to this. It's, it looks really cool. And then somebody had to email me back and say, Emily, this is Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> there are other Cambridges. <laughs> other Cambridges are available. Oh dear. Whoops. Oh dear. So you almost, you almost kind of got to see that. Well, well I'm glad I didn't get the tickets. <laughs> Just put import them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> awkward. You wondered why they were for sale in American dollars, but there you go. 
So that's films. We've done films. Uh, we're going to do TV shows next. But before we do, you got another pun for us? Oh, of course I do. Oh, let me bring up my list. It's so hard to choose. I mean, I, I just get the feeling you're not going to let me say them all. So I have to, <laughs> I have to choose the You may have to whittle the them down. Choose, choose wisely. Okay. So we've been talking about sort of movies and lots of them have, you know, uh, scores and lots of famous music, especially 2001. So what kind of songs do you think planets like to sing? What kind of songs do planets like to sing? I don't know. What kind of songs do planets like to sing, Emily? Neptunes. Uh, on that note, television shows. <laughs> we've done we've done films. Now on to onto TV shows. And this this includes streaming, of course, because television doesn't exist anymore. What even what even is over the airwaves television? I don't I don't remember the last time I actually tuned into something that was broadcast in real time to my house. It's all about the streaming now, but that's okay. That's fine. And included in this category is, of course, like with the films, anything that has come before. And there's some absolutely cracking old series about astronomy and old being anything from you know a decade old to you know a lifetime ago going back to cosmos you know the the original carl sagan cosmos have you watched that emily i have and then there was a, a really good um one that was on a similar lines to that one which was done by oh the new zealand actor sam neill Sam Neill was the... Ah, uh, oh, right, yes. I remember watching that when I was a kid. I didn't know he'd done one. I'll have to go and look it up. You don't remember what it was called? No, I have to, I'll have to Google it. Right, we'll have to look that one up. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes if we can figure it out. But yeah, the, Cos the original Cosmos series, which now looks, you know, it does look very dated. There's a lot of, you know, 70s clothing, long collars, that kind of thing. And Carl Sagan is, you know, he's a walking stereotype. But for all of that, he it, it was a fabulous series. And he did such an extraordinary job of, of summing up both... The, you know, the, the state of our understanding of the universe at that time and the wonder of all of that. But but also just the, the human story of it all. He was he was one of the earliest and one of the best uh, narrators of the human experience in in science. And so it's it's really worth going back and having a look at. It was updated. Uh, I think within the last 10 years or so, with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Did you see the, the modern Cosmos reboot? I haven't, no, no. That would be really exciting to see. It's an interesting one. I, it's a lot flashier, you know, with, with deGrasse Tyson on a, on a big sort of spaceship sailing out through the void, and it's, it's kind of a bit Star Trek-y, and, and that's all fun, but I kind of just like the, the really down-to-earth um, almost prosaicness of of uh, of Sagan, uh, and I find the flashiness of the of the modern one eh, just a little bit off putting. But that's okay. Then of course you have got your Brian Cox's Wonders of the Universe, Wonders of the Solar System, Wonders of Wonders of anything, Wonders of people, Wonders of animals, Wonders of just it's all wonderful, and he's very cool. Um, one that I am going to say you could probably avoid. So this is more of a you know spend your time on something else is a recent one uh, on streaming networks called Space Force. Have you come across this one? No. I'm, 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 no. Space maybe Force. Maybe I should be grateful that I haven't by the tone of your voice. Yeah. Look, I mean, it again, casting, it's uh, and not just starring, but I think actually written and, and produced by um, Steve Carell from, from The Office and many, many other very, very good TV shows, movies, and so on. Like, I really like Steve Carell a lot. But this is about Space Force, which is the, you know, you've got the Navy, you've got the Air Force, and Donald Trump 
what, a couple of years ago announced to the world, I think fairly unexpectedly, as far as I can tell, that America was now going to have a space force, which made a lot of people kind of giggle because it just doesn't sound real. You know, sounds like something that you'd get in a Lego box, space force. But the US was was not going to to cede um, power of, of, you know, of space to any other nation that they were going to take it for themselves. And so this comedy TV show, Space Force, is kind of responding to that. And I like the idea, but it just doesn't quite hit the landing. Uh, you know, your, your mileage may vary, but I did find the first couple of ep- episodes to be a bit, I see where the jokes are, I see what you're trying to do, but I'm not laughing. It's not, it's not really happening for me. Maybe it's just a bit too close to the bone in the current political climate. So that's one to avoid, Space Force. Emily, what was your pick in this category? So my pick was a little bit odd. It's, it's not a super famous documentary series, but it is one of my absolute favourites ever. Um, so I think it's fair to say that when growing up in New Zealand, we only had sporadic access to BBC uh, media, shall we say. You know, if the, you know, the national programming was to decide to put it on, then they put it on, and if they didn't, then they didn't. <laughs> but I came across this um, probably later. I think it was originally aired in 2012, but I think I came across it um, a little bit later than that, or maybe a couple of years afterwards. Uh, there's a series called, um, BBC documentary series called Orbit, Earth's Extraordinary Journey. Mm-hmm. And it's just a three-part documentary series, but I love the, the way they framed it. So what they did was they took the whole, the orbit of the planet Earth and sort of looked at that from, I guess, the astronomical perspective of the fact that, you know, your Earth's tilted, so you've got seasons, and so things are changing as the Earth goes around and it's orbit around the sun. But then it was very much focused on how that impacts what ha- happens on Earth. So anything from, I think it was like, it was extreme weather to um, extreme seasons, all sorts of really interesting things, um, solstices, yeah. It was just it was just a nice link between the sometimes very abstract astronomical things that happen and actually, hey, these you know, this has an everyday effect on our, our planet Earth. It's a nice way to draw together a whole lot of things which are which are obviously related. I mean, they're, you know, they're causally related, but which we don't necessarily tend to relate in our minds. And particularly as I think if you were to still in 2020 do a survey of 100 people out there on the street, you'd get a large proportion of them still getting the whole. So what causes the seasons? thing wrong like there's a very strong misconception amongst the public that seasons come from the earth getting closer to or further away from the sun rather than the tilt of the 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 uh, the earth on its axis so having a show which is able to say so here's some stuff about the earth and its orbit where can we go with that yeah that's a really nice idea and it was presented by two um two women um uh, i think it was an oceanographer and uh, quite famous i think uh bbc host for science documentaries kate humble okay i'll go and look that one up that'll i'll add that to my list of uh, of summertime viewing and uh, just a little bit of real time follow up you just sent me through the uh the link for that sam neil show which is a show called space or apparently in the us it was called hyperspace um, because the the Americans, I don't know, maybe they already had a show called Space, or maybe Space wasn't exciting enough. <laughs> Hyperspace, if you're in the States, uh, came out in 2001. Sam Neill being uh, one of the most awesome, awesome actors on the planet, and so it's, I would I would turn up to just see him reading the newspaper, frankly. So a, uh, a documentary series about space, I think, would be awesome with Sam Neill in it. Right, 
It is time to move on. We're going to do uh, online video next, as in sort of YouTube channels and that kind of thing. Uh, but before we do, Emily, got any puns? All right. Okay. So this one is, I can't guess, kind of related to orbit. Scientists have been watching the Earth rotate. After 24 hours, they were bored. So they called it a day. Oh, I'm losing the will to live. Right. Uh, on to YouTube channels and other related video. So um, I, I'm looking at the spreadsheet here in front of me, Emily. You, that you don't have an entry into this category. Do you not watch video online? What's going on there? I'm, I'm a very poor millennial sometimes, I have to, I have to confess. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting down my generation. I'm not a big uh, YouTube uh, watcher. Um, the shows I do watch on YouTube, well, at the moment, I've got a kind of a bit of a guilty confession about what I watch on YouTube at the moment. It's, it's, it's a little bit odd. Um, you're just going to have to go with me on this one. Go on then. So there's a, there's a YouTuber um, from the US who videos himself unclogging drains. What? And, <laughs> and that's all. It, no, it's, sorry. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm not, sorry, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I can believe that that is a YouTube channel. I can totally believe that's a YouTube channel. I'm just incredulous that this is the YouTube channel that you were choosing at this point in time to tell us that that's what you've been watching. Really? Well, it's just, it's an incredibly satisfying thing to watch. You hear these like block drains and block holes that sometimes causing quite, you know, big floods. And then he goes and it's, it's just a process of just clearing it all out and the water levels go down and everything's nice again and it's just wow it's just one of those weirdly satisfying things like i know that there's an incredibly popular youtube channel called dr pimple popper and if you're if you're at all queasy about you know bodily things and and people's skin conditions then don't please don't go and search for dr pimple popper but if you are the sort of person who thinks that any YouTube video with that kind of title is right up your alley. You're probably going to get hours of entertainment out of Dr. Pimple Popper. But I admit, I have never, never come across the, the drain unclogging phenomenon. Yeah. It's called Post 10. It's called what? Post 10, if you're interested. The YouTube is called Post 10. Post 10. Yeah. Do we know why? Is that relevant? Or is it just... I, just no, I mean, there, there was a, it's an eclectic mix of videos on there. I mean, there was quite, quite the... Um, Quite the post that we found in the archive, which was called Five Yellow Signs, um, that indeed was a video of five, five yellow, yellow signs. signs. Yeah, good, but, right. But, the, but the, yeah, the, the, the drains are quite good. I recommend the drains. Okay, well, look, if I get really, really bored during this ongoing rubbish weather summer that we're having here, I might go and look that up. Or I might not, because there's plenty of other stuff out there on YouTube. Um, for this category, I, I, I did have a, a, a final one that I wanted to talk to, but... In leading up to that, I mean, there are a bunch of, of astronomy-related YouTube channels that I do tune into from time to time, which, listeners, you you have probably come across as well, because there's a lot of the big ones. There's things like Crash Course Astronomy. You know, Crash Crash Course is a, a whole stream or a whole series of different, different video channels which do what it says on the tin. They give crash courses in all sorts of things, from astronomy to geopolitics to the economy to biology to all sorts of stuff. And so crash course astronomy um, is, is a good one. Uh, there's Deep Sky Videos, which is one of the video channels by Brady Harron, 
who is also responsible for 60 Symbols, a video uh, video channel about uh, about physics particularly, and all the you know telling stories about the the different discoveries in physics from the point of view of the the different symbols that are given to the the different things in the equations. So deep sky videos is is a is a great one. But the one that I wanted to um, to call out, and it's it's a bit more theoretical physics based than it is astronomy, but it's definitely cosmology. It's definitely about what do we understand about the universe. And that's by the theoretical physicist Sean Carroll. Do you know Sean Carroll, Emily? I have several of his textbooks. Right. He's uh, he's one of the, I guess, one of the, the big, I mean, he's a, he's a very good theoretical physicist and academic in his own right, very good researcher in his own right. But he's also been doing more and more sort of of the public facing outreach, including things like like uh, like YouTube and podcasts and uh, and public talks and so on, and he has a, a series of videos which are the biggest ideas in the universe. And he is methodically it's basically a lecture course where he is one hour at a time leading the viewer through. So how do we how do we understand the the universe? And he's going from everything from like you know what when we talk about space and time, what are we talking about? Just laying out the basics at a sort of you know, physics 101 level. And then he'll do an hour on particles. When we talk about particle physics, what are we what are we talking about? And he'll start with very, very simple ideas of, you know, the little balls, but then he'll introduce in a very, very simple and clever way notions of quantum physics. Now don't get scared, not a lot of equations, but let's talk about quantum physics for a while. Or general relativity. Let's introduce the Einsteinian stuff. And again, don't get too worried. There's not too much tensor calculus in here. He handholds you through it. And it's if you want to get in a bit deeper into some of the ideas that underpin modern cosmology and our understanding of the universe, then this is a really good place to start. He's a really good educator. They're all an hour long. And yeah, they can bend the brain a bit, but if you're prepared to dig in, then it's a really good introductory course to what we understand about the universe. So big thumbs up from me on that one. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, his textbook, if you if you want to go deeper, um, he's written probably, I would say, the classic textbook for general relativity courses across the the world, um, Space, Time and Geometry. I don't know, you, you probably recognise the cover, Chris, if you haven't recognize the title i probably have i don't know that i don't know that his textbook was around when i was in university so i don't think i came it across came across it um, myself um but yes it's a he's he's a very good author and he's written a bunch of um of popular popular books as well which are you know, really nicely written in a very simple style, but he doesn't hold back from sort of saying, come on, you can understand this. And so he's written a, a, a book called Something Deeply Something Deeply Hidden, uh, The Big Picture, you know, a whole bunch of them. Go and look him up. It's, it's worth your time. So that would be my recommendation for the YouTube channel is, uh, is his YouTube channel in which he's got um, the biggest ideas in the universe. I think he's up to episode number 14 or something of that one. He's just churning them out because, you know, he, like everyone else, just sitting at home while the while the US is shut down with coronavirus. What else has he got to do but teach the world about modern cosmology? Emily, time for another pun. Hit me with it. All right. How do you know when the moon is going broke? How do you know when the moon is going broke? Uh, I don't know. How do you know when the moon is going broke, Emily? When it's down to its last quarter. Uh, moving right along, right, if you're not watching video online, then there are plenty of other things. Video is only one part of the online experience. So, Emily, 
when you're not watching astronomical videos or indeed videos about unblocking drains, what do you do online that's astronomy based? Are there any good astronomy websites out there? Just a couple, just a couple. I have to convince this is where I do <laughs> sink a lot of my time into it. Excellent. What do you um, got? There's just so many. I mean, uh, I know you sort of said we're going to talk about one or two, but I'll give a quick shout out to more than that. Um, I think okay. there's a few that everyone just needs to know about. They just you just got to you just got to have them on your radar, right? All right. All the links for these will be in the show notes. So hit us with them. Okay. So the first one is Stellarium. I think we've talked about Stellarium before, but um, it's free for to use on a PC. It's um, a small charge to use as an app on your phone. It's it's just the best planetarium sort of night sky viewing pointed at that star to tell you what it is. But also just to look up, I use it a lot to look up, oh, okay, so um, where's Mars going to be in two weeks' time when I next go observing kind of thing. You can put in your location and a time and sort of work, your, work out what, right. what you can see in the sky. Really, really nice. So is this one of those apps where you can you can use it to sort of, you can see the sky, you can see what's in the sky, maybe turn bits and pieces on and off. Can you, on your phone, is it one of the ones where you can point it at the sky and it's yeah. kind of a yeah. uh, an augmented reality sort of thing that it, it sees what you see and it tells you what you can't see? Yeah, it's really nice. Um, yeah, it does a lot, all sorts of things. And you can fast forward in time and it, it has comets, it's got uh, planets, it's, you can track things, you can put constellations up, you can put pictures of what the constellations are actually supposed to look like on the sky, which is very useful if you've got no idea why those three dots should be a fish. Excellent. So that's Stellarium and it's, um, you said it's free on, on its website, but the app is a, is a, is yeah, a small, it's free, it's free to download and run on a computer, um, but just for apps, Brilliant. It's, a, it's a charge. Yeah. Okay. So that's Stellarium. That's number one. Uh, the other one that everyone needs to know about is Gaia Sky because this is just beautiful. It's, um, Gaia Sky is using data from the Gaia Space Telescope um, to reconstruct in three dimensions the actual view that we have of our galaxy and what's incredibly nice about that is that you can have fly-throughs I mean we've all seen the kind of the Star Trek star fly-throughs where you've got stars like whizzing by da -da 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 -da, just flying through space it's all very nice yeah that's just made up right you know that <laughs> <laughs> That's not real. But the, the Gaia sky is real. It's it's actually the real data. This is where this particular star is in three-dimensional space, really. That's very cool. And Gaia, so Gaia is a is a study. It's a survey, isn't it? What does it stand for? Does it, is that an acronym? Uh, it's not an acronym. No, it's just based off the, the actual word Gaia, meaning Mother Earth or right. something like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. But it's the, the Gaia survey was, was the survey of the... Of the galaxy, wasn't it? And they, they well, yeah, it's still going on. Um, so we've had, yeah, we've had two data releases. We're expecting a third one, I think, within the next year or so. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's big stuff. It's really lovely stuff. That's awesome. And so to then turn that into, I mean, it's obvious in retrospect, but I, I, I wonder whether this was part of the original plan or not. If it wasn't, it totally should have been. Um, to to then do a fly through of the galaxy using the actual data. That's gold. That's such a fabulous idea. So Stellarium, Gaia Sky. I'm looking at the list of things on your on your list of, of websites and apps here, Emily, and one is standing out to me, uh, which is a bit bit intriguing. Um, cats in space quoting scientists? What? <laughs> yeah, so it's just a silly Facebook page. It's fun though. I mean, it does what it says on the tin. They get a picture from space. They put a cat in it and then they put a quote from a scientist 
and it's just nice. It's just silly and it's fun and it's nice. <laughs> I think we're all learning quite a lot about your particular sense of humour here, Emily. The, the, the sort of things that you find amusing. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a bit like a cat playing with a ball of wool in a way. It's like, oh, that's fun. Um, you had a few others in your list, though, as well, which, again, we'll put the links in the, in the show notes. Any of those in particular you want to give a shout out to? Um, one, just because of the time limit that's on it. Uh, so this is the one that I found quite recently is that um, there's, NASA's got a Lunar Loo challenge going on at the moment. A Lunar Loo challenge, which is, which is what? Exactly? Uh, so you have the, it's an open competition from NASA to ask the community to design a toilet that will work not only um, in zero gravity, so near zero gravity, um, as in on the International Space Station or in the spacecraft, uh, but also in lunar gravity. So, you know, small amount of gravity. Wow. And is this is this real? I mean, look, NASA has a lot of experience with this already, so I find it hard to believe that they, that they don't already have a few ideas of their own. Is this a genuine shout out to we're looking for solutions here or is it kind of just a fun, hey, let's name a Mars rover kind of thing? No. Draw us a picture of a space toilet. <laughs> it absolutely is a, it's a genuine design challenge. Um, the prize is 35000 US dollars. Um, wow. Okay. The bad They're news not is around. you've not got long to do it. I think August the 17th is the deadline. So if you've been out there with a cracking idea for a space loo and you've just been waiting for an opportunity, now's your chance. Get in there to the, to the space loo challenge. Go into the show notes, find the link and go and click on it. And you you might win thirty five grand's worth of worth of getting your loo into space. I think that would be awesome. Imagine that being your legacy, that the first toilet on the moon that was that was your design that'd be awesome right <laughs> moving right along um from space lose to uh i guess emily your your next pun oh excellent before we before we find our way out of here with one last uh one last category have you got another pun for us do i have one i've got i've got a lot all right but since we've been talking about competitions i'm gonna ask ask the question so what does a star win in a competition. What does a star win in a... I don't know. What does a star win in a competition? A constellation prize. Oh, Emily, you're killing me here. Right, our last category, which is, I mean, one of those other online pastimes and something that we've all been doing increasingly online since Waves Hands, all this happened, is the online shopping and finding interesting things to, to purchase and send your money and have it arrive in the post through your through your mailbox. So, Emily, what's your go-to online astronomy-based shopping network? Do you have you have you got any astronomy-based gear, kit, merch, fun stuff? So this is where I can be a little bit millennial and that's say I have entire Pinterest boards full of awesome astronomy kit fantastic <laughs> just stuff gathered from high and low from all corners of the universe just like what sort of stuff what do you oh. what do you look for and what do you buy so stuff that's like um well many of the stuff is just stuff that i covered right rather than things that i can ne sure. necessarily afford slash even get my hands on um but i'm just looking at i've got a snapshot of my pinterest uh, feed <laughs> here um, anything from, um, well, socks with constellations on them. I actually did give those to my partner as a Christmas present one year. That was, that was quite Yeah, they're fun. nice. I like those. Some really cute boots with um, like nebula and stars on them. Very, very nice wedge heels. 
uh, got some an umbrella which has the constellations that glow in the dark on the inside of the umbrella, so you can look up. Oh, it's really that's brilliant! Stars. That's a great idea. Never thought of that. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, there's scarves. I've got globes. There was um, I haven't got it there, but there was at one point there was a Kickstarter that I could never quite get into because it always kept you know selling out um, for a laser etched uh, model of the early universe into a glass sphere. That was awesome. That's pretty cool. I'm liking that a lot. So this is a this is a Pinterest board. So if we were to put a link to this in our show notes, then people could go and see a not just the sort of things that you're into, but b where they might be able to go and find those things for themselves. So basically, you're doing people's nerdy shopping selection for them. Ooh. Nice work. Okay, so we'll put that link that that link in there. What would what would you say is your favourite? astro-related purchase so far? So I think uh, one of the nicest things they did was, it wasn't actually a purchase, I got inspired by the internet, although there are companies that produce these if you don't want to do them yourself. Uh, so it was uh, for uh, our anniversary, so again, my, my partner and I's anniversary, uh, what I did was I created a poster which had a star chart which was for the exact date and time that we met. Ah, that's so sweet. We did actually meet at night uh, and, yeah, did actually do some stargazing on the first night that we met. And so, yeah, I looked at the, the got the coordinates of where we were, the time and date and got the star So chart. right down to, like, the place that you were, the location and the time, and this was the sky overhead when we met. Yeah. Emily, you're such a romantic. I know. That's and so then cool. I had to put the date in Julian Day because that's what we use nerdy astronomers. Because <laughs> that's an astronomy nerd thing. And uh, and you know that it's true love when they get that. I think that's I think that's important. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So you can, but you can get these done by different companies uh, online as well. Nice one. Well, I don't I mean, I I haven't bought a personalized you know, star chart or anything for, for my wife. I'm, I'm feeling bad now. Maybe I should have. At least I now know what to get her for her next birthday. In in this category for me, I was just going to put down, uh, I got a couple of things there. One is a, is a plug for, I, I think we're allowed to do this, plug for someone who has supported us on our, our Patreon uh, page, patreon.com slash pod if you want to join him, um, which uh, is Galaxies on Glass. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, to be fair, if I had... The means I would just cover my entire house with these pictures. They are just glorious. I've been lucky enough to be have worked with Chris for quite a few years and uh, to have visited his uh, stall at New Scientist Live um, as well, which has I don't know twenty, thirty odd of his fantastic um, images. And seeing them in person, I, I you know it's all very nice. You see beautiful pictures of astronomy stuff on the web all the time, right? You see Hubble pictures, you see whatever. And you think, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I mean astronomy is just built from built from beautiful images. And just to be clear, these are what we're talking about. Ah, these it's it's Chris Baker. I that's have got right. that right, haven't I? Chris Baker. Um who's behind this this uh this online storefront called Galaxies on Glass, who takes astronomical photos his own astronomical photos these aren't just things that he's written yeah off i mean that's that's incredible just on its own <laughs> but then prints them beautifully on large bits of perspex or glass and they are just the most beautifully presented you can get them backlit so the light's just shining through them they're just absolutely stunning pieces of art really yeah and yeah okay so it costs you more than a pair of socks but it's a 
it's a beautiful, beautiful bit of bit of stuff for your wall. And I absolutely have to say, you know, you, as I said, you used to seeing all this beautiful stuff online, but when you see it in person, done at such high quality, like it's, this is not just like the kind of poster that you bought when you were a student for you know five pounds and stuck up on your wall. This is these are be really high end, gorgeous products that yeah they just they do just look stunning. There's a couple of them on the walls around the physics department at York, aren't there? Yeah. There's yeah. at least one. Are there a couple? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm lucky enough to have one as well. So I've got one of the Pleiades that's just gorgeous. So jealous, so jealous. So it, listen, I, I promise you, it's not just because he has been a supporter of the show. It, has, it actually genuinely is really awesome stuff. He'd be in my Pinterest anyway. <laughs> yeah. Totally. The other one, which if it's not in your Pinterest, Emily, it totally should be, is the people call who call themselves Startorialist, which I think is an excellent pun. And if you haven't come across that pun yet, then put it on your list. Startorialist, and they they go to conferences and stuff as well. They set up their stall at, at various uh, various astronomy and scientific conferences around the world. And they produce their own clothes and jewellery and other bits and pieces of their own design and of their own making, but based around scientific imagery astronomical imagery imagery and and real data you know they take some of the real data of modern astronomy and turn it into clothing and it's just gorgeous stuff and i and i I follow them on twitter i love seeing every time they come out with a new design and it just kind of makes me think that i look better in a dress you know (laughs) that that some of their clothes are awesome but they as far as i know they don't do anything for a guy of my size that i could pull off but there we are startorialist go and check them out All right, so that brings us to the end of the the shopping section. Emily, it's pun time. What do you got? Well, okay, since you just talked about having a nice dress, you might want to have a nice belt with your dress. Mm -hmm. However, you might not want to have a a Ryan's belt with your dress because it's just a big waste of space. (sighs) Moving right along. Um, An interesting category on the spreadsheet here. We've gone from, from shopping. We're now talking about fabric. And this is a category that you put in, Emily. So I think I'm just going to need to hand over to you. Why are we talking about fabric? Is this the fabric of space-time that we're talking about here? Uh, well, sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go be honest and say I'm pretty sure that the Venn diagram of astronomers and uh, people who are fabric enthusiasts like myself is it's got a fairly small intersection, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> It could just be a Venn diagram with with one person in the middle, and that's you. <laughs> Possibly, I don't. Well, maybe not, because there are some gorgeous fabrics out there. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm a quilter, and I do dressmaking as well. That's kind of my um, offline hobby. Uh, it gets me away from the computer. It gets me away from social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's just a it's a real good escape, especially when it's tipping it down outside, as it has been this summer. I've been rather productive this summer, I think. <laughs> Yeah, so as a quilter, I mean, you've got access to just huge arrays of really um, beautiful and very modern fabrics. I mean, it used to be that when you did quilting, you sort of had these very uh, classic, shall we say, without being rude, um, fabrics where you might have like hundreds of chickens on them or something like that. Um, Yeah, yeah. Lots of flowers, I would imagine. Yeah, but sort of in modern times, as, as modern quilting's taken off, Modern fabric designers um, have started to take these um, ideas and run with them, and some of the stuff that they've come up with is just uh, gorgeous. So, um, at so the like moment, what? What what sort of things? What sort of things have you got your eye on, or what have you been using? Um, so, well, one of them I've been really enjoying is um, a series by um, a designer, Robert Kaufman, who did um, 
science fair and hang on you sent me the link i'm just going to look it up there's lots of really sciencey sciencey geeky prints um particularly one of my favorite ones and that one is uh there's a one with lots of physics equations on it oh this is great I love this. It's really cool. Really cool. I don't even make stuff and I want to order some of this. There's there's stuff here which has got the periodic table on it. There's stuff here which has got physics equations. There's there's DNA helices. There's chemistry equipment. There's chemistry equations and, and symbols. This is great. I love this. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, so I've just made a skirt out of um, some of the equation fabric and I'm making another dress out of uh, the grey one as well. So... I mean, it's, it's fun. Um, I won't be able to invigilate exams when I'm wearing these particular articles of clothing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's quite cool. I mean, and it, it would be quite funny to actually, it would be funny to make material where the equations are wrong. So <laughs> you could wear it to invigilate. And then you could spot people who were cheating. I think that would be quite funny. Yes, that's very clever. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I'm using these kind of fabrics to do that. I'm also making, um, as in the current climate... Uh, necessitates some face masks as well some sort of geeky face masks with my geeky fabrics which is yeah nice. this would be great for face masks yeah yeah the one thing i'm quite proud of at the moment is i just finished actually during lockdown i was working on a quilt and it was kind of a quilt that was um inspired a bit by tess which you know is uh tess everyone's favorite exoplanet hunting satellite I'm, this is the picture that you you've sent through on the spreadsheet here yeah so i sent through a photograph so what it is is it's a um it's a quilt which is based on um, a, uh, a design by Art Gallery Fabrics um, and they did a series of um, fabric called Stargazer and there's a quilt which is, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you make a, a series of fabric they often put out some quilt patterns and things that they think would go with that and this was the one of their ideas. But what I did was I sort of chopped and changed it around so it's a, it's a five by five block quilt but the central block instead of having kind of the moon, a little kind of cartoon moon in the centre, which is um, how the original pattern was, I thought. The whole design just kind of reminded me of Tess. Um, it's got right. lots of rockets and moons. Um, you know, the moon is very important to Tess because it's part of its orbit um, stabilisation. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It's got these kind of big triangles that kind of look a little bit like solar panels coming out of it. So <laughs> it just reminded me of Tess. And so right in the middle there... Right in the middle there is this little spacecraft that we all know and love. Yeah, so I, I learned how to design um, paper pieced work. So what it is, is just, it's like a geometric pattern where you you put together lots of shapes until you get the, the shape that you want. So I, yeah, I did that for Tess and put it in the middle. Gosh, you're clever, aren't you? And I love the fact that in this photo, do you mind, do you mind if we put the picture up with the, with the show? No, no, no. The chapter art for this bit. So in this picture, you can see your little feet poking. I'm assuming they're yours. Uh, they're actually not mine, but uh, I, I think we can. Oh, they're not uh, yours. We can preserve the anonymity of the, the, the quilt holder opera. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this summer spectacular edition of the Syzygy podcast. Emily, you've you collected a whole series of, of contributions to the to the show today, not least of which was a series of very punny jokes. Have you got any of those left over that we just need to get out of your system? I've got three quick ones for you, special particle physicist ones. Okay, go for it. Right. First of all, why should you never trust an atom? I don't know why. Because they make up everything. Uh, okay, that's one. Two. A neutrino walks into a bar. Yeah. And keeps you right on going. 
Yep. And and third. And a neutron goes into a bar and asks the bartender how much for a beer. The bartender replies, for you, no charge. Listen, if you wanted to get in touch with the show and share with us your really, really lame puns, then you could do that in a number of ways. Emily, how could people get in touch with us? What are the options available? Well, if you can capture it in a tweet, then do send it winging our way through the space on the internet. So we are at SyzygyPod, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D, on Twitter. But we're not just on Twitter. We're on the other social medias as well. We are on Instagram, at SyzygyPod. We are on Facebook. Just search for at SyzygyPod or the Syzygy Podcast. Uh, or you can just go to our website, you know, the old, old-fashioned, old-school way of Syzygy.fm, where you can find all sorts of things, all the old episodes, pictures from all of the all of the different episodes we've done over the, the last couple of years. All of the links that we talked about today, which is really important. All of the links and our great wall of thanks for everyone who supports us on the show, particularly our fabulous Patreon.com patrons like Chris Baker, who is behind Galaxies on Glass. Fabulous, fabulous. Go and check them out. If you too want to become a patron of the show, that'd be a fantastic way to support us. Any money that we do get through the patronage uh, goes towards keeping the lights on, keeping the show going and allowing us to do when all this is over and we do get back out into the world again to do things like going to festivals and giving public talks. So we would be forever grateful for those of you who do decide to support the show in that way. But otherwise, just share it around. Tell people that you know. If you know of geek in your life who would love a pair of sciencey earrings that you've found on Emily's Pinterest board, um, then tell them about the podcast. Help us to rise up through the noise and leave us a review. Leave us some stars on your podcast catcher of choice because that all helps us to become what we want to be, which is the finest gosh darned astronomy podcast in all of existence. Listen, we are going to take a couple of weeks break. Uh, I haven't talked to you about this, Emily, but I'm going on holiday. Are you taking any holidays? Um, I'll have to see if I'm allowed to by, uh, you know, the, the stars. <laughs> Yeah, see how that goes. But I'm I'm going to be taking a, a little bit of a holiday over the next week or so, heading off with a tent. He says, checking out the window where the rain is pouring down. But I'm heading off in a tent, going camping, so that should be fun. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with the next edition of the Syzygy Podcast. Emily, do you want to see us out with your final, very last pun of the summer spectacular? Well, I can tell you, I was up all night trying to think about different puns for this show, particularly different puns about the sun, then this one dawned on me. <sighs> Say goodnight, Emily. <laughs> goodnight, Chris. That was terrible. That was really <laughs> bad. <laughs> Don't know why I expected any better, but there we go.